Rainmaker FM. This podcast is brought to you by Copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. Hey guys, it's Daryl. Brian has the week off this week. This week on the copyblogger.fm podcast, I have the honor of talking to my friend Matt Raglan from Podia. Uh, He's the director of customer success there and also has his own YouTube channel. And Matt's story is really amazing. Uh, Matt spent many, many months creating content on his YouTube channel uh, with very little success. He stuck with it, had consistency, and over time was able to build an audience around his ideas uh, with now more than 35,000 subscribers on YouTube. So today we're going to talk about Podia online courses. We're going to tap into uh, our thoughts from last week's conversations with myself and Brian. And then we're going to hear the story of how Matt uh, consistently built success over a long period of time, creating content and building an audience. So stay tuned for this interview with Matt Ragland. Matt, welcome to the show today. Hey, Daryl. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I've been a big copy blogger fan and follower for a number of years. So it's a real thrill for me as well. Super exciting to have you. Uh, you and I have known each other for a number of years. We actually worked together at ConvertKit, which is where we really got to know each other. Uh, and yep. now you are doing a new position at a company called Podia. So tell us a little bit about Podia uh, and then what your role is there. Great. Yeah. I uh, came to Podia after three and a half years at ConvertKit and it has been really fun. I'm the director of customer success, like you said. And what Podia is, for those of you listening that haven't heard of it, is that it's online courses, digital downloads, and memberships all rolled into one platform. We also have some email marketing capability. And also we have a lot of things that you can do with like the Podia storefront to even replicate some things about a blog to create custom pages and posts. So uh, a lot of good things that you can do on Podia. But the main the main thing to think about it as is online courses, digital downloads and memberships all rolled into one. So last week, Brian and I talked about uh, online courses quite a bit. He's been doing it for a long time. I've been doing it for a long time. And we talked briefly about the idea that online courses are dying and they're just not working like they used to. (laughs) Right. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that because you have to get that kind of comment often at Podia. Uh, And what is your stance? What is Podia's stance on online courses and the future of online education? Yeah, I think that it's it's at a really interesting place. And one of the reasons that we started up the membership feature came around a conversation related to this. Now, I, I do think that uh, there are a lot of ways that online courses are still really healthy. But I do think that when people think about maybe online courses not being as effective as they used to be, I believe a lot of that comes from people's audiences wanting more engagement and interaction with them. So I think from like the perspective of a set it, get it kind of 
course that may be going by the wayside and more like more engaged courses, more interaction with the instructor creator that you've that you've basically paid to have access to. And again, going back to the membership model, I think all of those things are becoming I think all of those are increasing in value and engagement. And it really just comes back to me about the level of connection that you can have with the people that are supporting your work and vice versa. Yeah, I think that's really true. We talked quite a bit about that. And Brian uh, even mentioned last week that he has changed the framing of this this latest product that he's released to a coaching program instead of an online mm-hmm. course, uh, even though the education piece of it is exactly... Uh, the same, the learning outcomes will be the same. Uh, the framing of that product is much different uh, because people's perception around some of this online education is changing. Uh, so you guys are seeing that as well, it sounds like. Yeah, we we are saying, and we still see, I will say that like from from our stats, like people people create more online courses on Podia than anything else right now. Um, but we have seen more shift to like just an increase in memberships and people are really, really excited about, I think the membership model. Now it does take from a creator standpoint, it does take more work. I think, you know, when you give, when you have a membership, people are expecting a little bit more. And I think like just to draw it, distinction between say like when you say memberships and creators a lot of times uh, patreon comes to mind and i know a lot of people that create on patreon and i think that it's a really good program or platform for some creators but for the creators we work with at podia we think about it more as you have a membership and you have like as you were talking about with Brian more of that like coaching and very interactive model where i see a lot of times with patreon and have talked to some patreon creators that almost see patreon as sort of like their online tip jar <laughs> like if you if you like my work on youtube or whatever it might be like you know my my podcast throw me a few extra bucks to support the channel um we really want creators on Podia to think about how they can create really valuable ongoing value for the people who support them and being able to charge a bit more of a premium for that. I actually love Podia for that reason. Uh, you guys, what's well, not changing, Brian and I mentioned this last week in the podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, I've now mentioned that that podcast three or four times, <laughs> go back and listen to that episode. Uh, the, the mechanics of online education have changed and will continue to change. But what isn't changing is things that you've mentioned, connection, trust, the desire to learn, uh, and people who have a desire to meet that need of learning and education. So all of that underlying stuff will never change. And that uh, I squarely stand in that position as well. But the mechanics are changing. And it sounds like you guys have some really cool things uh, that you are developing and releasing around maybe some new mechanics of how that online education is delivered. Yeah, one one article kind of overarching like principle that has held true for us that informs a lot of our product decisions and I think is relative to what we're saying becoming more and more valuable and meaningful is the classic Kevin Kelly article of a thousand true fans. And when you and you that shows up I think in a membership model stronger than anything else. And if yeah. you look at anything, okay, how do I grow? How do I grow my audience to a high enough number that I can find those, like those, say, thousand true fans for because that's the term to 
pay me a hundred dollars a month or hundred dollars a month would be great too. hundred dollars a year for the value that I'm bringing to them. Cause if you can find a thousand people to pay you a hundred dollars a year, which is just a shade over $8 a month, it's really like when you break it down piece by piece, it's not, it's not that crazy. So what can you create, what can you make as a creator that's going to incentivize people and make them like connect and engage with you enough because then you've hit a hundred K. And if that's, if that's what we're driving towards, then like thinking about your economics and the mechanics of how you connect with an audience, whether that is through courses or memberships or, um, and something else cool that we do at Podia is that I still do still think that like say courses and digital downloads are effective means of delivering educational content one of the things that you can do in Podio with memberships is that you can say like this level of membership gets access to these products and a higher level gets more, gets more access or more products. So you can even still like you could have a free level or a very low cost level and say like, you're going to have this content library that's always available to you. And I'm just going to keep adding content to it for you. And so it really can become like that premium level subscription for, for a lot of, for a lot of your um, true fans. Yeah. So one thing uh, that made me really excited about this conversation is you and I actually had lunch last week and we started talking through a lot of this stuff, but um, it's been a while since you and I have connected. And when, uh, you, when I had just left ConvertKit, you were still there and you had just started a YouTube channel. So not only are you at Podia, uh, <laughs> right. but you have a YouTube channel as well. So tell us a little bit about the YouTube channel. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to follow this narrative a little bit further into the YouTube channel because I think there's a really cool cross-section for our conversation between your YouTube channel we're talking about uh, and your position at Podia and online education and everything else. But tell us about the YouTube channel. Right. So I've been to take a little bit of a step back, even from that. I started my first blog, I believe is in 2011. And I made two big mistakes <laughs> that a lot of a lot of new creators do, but I made two big mistakes for years. And uh, the first one, the biggest one is that I wasn't consistent enough. And the second one was that I wasn't focused enough. And when you're not very focused and you're not very consistent, it's hard to it's hard to find an audience, and it's also hard to figure out what your audience wants to hear from you. So they both <laughs> both problems kind of eat at each other and make make themselves worse. I podcasted. I did thirty episodes of a podcast, and that went okay. But I sorry, what what do you yeah. mean by okay? How, what does okay mean? Like, give me some numbers here. Yeah. Uh, I think it, I stopped doing it in 2015, so I couldn't even really, I did 30 episodes and I got, I would say the reason that I would say the podcast was successful in one of the, one of the reasons I started it was podcasting was still like relatively still on the newer side back then. And so if you had a podcast and it looked, and it looked like a real podcast, like it was in iTunes and everything, then you could reach out to some people and like, they would do an interview with you and you could say like, okay, I got you know thousand downloads, 5,000 downloads on this. And I was able to hit those numbers. I say it was okay because I didn't hit, I don't think I ever had one go over 10,000 downloads. And I also wasn't, I didn't feel entirely invested in it. And the whole, the way that I would say it was, I felt like it was successful is I got to connect with some really interesting people because of it. So I had conversations with Jeff Goins, who's a mutual friend, and then Ryan Delk, who is 
at the, t- at the time was at Gumroad, but is now at Omni. They do all sorts of things, but a startup based in San Francisco that revolutionizes uh, how you store your stuff. And then James Clear. So I talked to those three people among many others. And so just being able to connect with several of the people through that podcast, like in that instance, it was successful, but I also didn't get like big sponsorships. I couldn't, I couldn't make it a thing after th- I couldn't get enough traction after 30 episodes. So I stopped. Okay. So blog 2011, podcast 2015 ish area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then YouTube channel started when? February 2017. So okay. I had, I had continued to blog intermittently between 2015 and the beginning of 2017. I have always enjoyed video. I took a bunch of video classes when I was in high school and then even into college. And then, so I decided I'm just going to use YouTube as a way to share my story and a way to talk about the work that I'm doing. The big commitment that I made was to stay consistent at the beginning. So in February 2017, I decided I'm going to release a video every day for the month of February. And then I'm going to see how I feel about it. So I'm going to hit that. Like it ended up being 30 videos in a row that I created. And I would say that I still didn't have a ton of traction at that point. A big video for me was maybe 200 views, but I was really enjoying it. I was able to stay consistent. The editing of a video was fun in a way that editing a podcast never was for me. And the other part, and I think this is this was really important for me in terms of consistency, was my my wife and my little son really enjoyed watching the videos because it was a lot more like lifestyle vlog kind of videos. So I was talking about the work that I was doing. I was talking about the things that we were doing as a family. I just tried to stay really consistent. So I talked about whatever I could. And they were they were enjoying that. And so those were those were the biggest things to me early on is that I was able to be consistent and then I just kept going from there. Yeah. So, yeah. So you did that, that first bit. And I think the thing when we were having lunch, the thing that really uh, struck me is you did, how many videos did you do before you hit like 700, 600 or 700 subscribers? Right. Yeah. So that was, that was my next, that was my next point on it is, so I did keep making the videos. I stayed consistent. And it wasn't until I had made... I didn't have my first video. Okay, so this this started in February 2017. And in November 2017, so I was at about 60 to 70 videos <laughs> at this point. None of them had been over a 1,000 views. And... Only and I was at about I think 650 subscribers. Now the value of consistency for me and I think for anyone at this point, especially early on, is even if you don't know what your particular focus or your niche is going to be. Because remember that was the second mistake that I made early on. I didn't. I still didn't have that focus early on because I wasn't really quite sure. But when you're consistent and you're talking about, let's say, a few things that matter to you, like I was still talking about like productivity and how I planned out my day and my week. And I still talked about my work and like how I tried to stay healthy and like what I was doing as a parent and a husband. So I was still talking about like three or four things, still way too discombobulated and disconnected 
for someone to really latch on. But since I was consistent with it, that November, I looked back and I said, okay, what are my most popular videos? Because now I have not just like five or six to look at, because that's not a big enough sample size, I have 60 or 70 videos. Look back and I see like, okay, what are my two or three most popular videos? And there was one in August that I did about planning out my week, like how I planned out, how I planned out my week. And I also happened to say that I did it in a bullet journal because <laughs> I had been bullet journaling for about a year at that point. And that an average video view count for me was around two or 300. That one had about 800, which I said is way higher than the others. And so getting towards the end of November, going into December is like, okay, the new year's coming up. People are going to want to know what they want to plan for. So I'm just going to do a big planning video. Like this is how I plan out my year, my goals, my projects. And I published that a couple of days after Christmas. And I was at about 700 subscribers at that point and still had never had a video go over a thousand views. And within two days, that video was over a thousand views. Within a week, I went over a thousand subscribers. Two weeks later, I went over 2,000 subscribers. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> this really took off in a way that I wasn't expecting. And I've had people reach out and ask, like, oh, how did you get that video to go viral? And I would have to say, and I always do, I was like, well, I made 70 videos before it <laughs> and I paid attention to what people liked. And the way that I was able to continue to grow the channel and find the audience after that is just by following the conversations that came up from that video. And so when you look in the comments for that video on YouTube, I think it's just called Minimalist Bullet Journal Productivity Planning 2018 then you'll see people ask a lot of questions about things that because it's a big overview video, I would say like, Oh, yeah, and I have like, you know, I use time blocking in this way. And they'd be like, wait, 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 <laughs> tell me more about the time blocking that way. I'm like, Okay, well, I'll make another video. And so the next three or four videos, at that point, I decided, okay, I'm going to focus on this topic for three or four videos and see if it sticks. And basically, for the next three or four months, I doubled my subscribers or I added a thousand subscribers every month after that. So it took me, it took me nine months, 10 months. It took me 10 months to get a thousand subscribers. It then took me six months to go from 1000 to 10,000 subscribers. So summer wow. of 20, summer of 2017, I hit 10,000 and we're getting, I just crossed 35,000 last week. Wow. That's huge. So what, what's huge to me here is, I mean, a couple of things that stick out. First of all, what was the difference between quitting the podcast after 30 episodes and sticking with YouTube for 70 plus videos when you <laughs> right. maybe were having similar or maybe even worse results than you were having on the podcast? Yeah, that's that's a really great question because I like looking back, and I don't even know if I've really thought of it this way. Looking back, I definitely had <laughs> I definitely had worse results on the on the blog and uh like i had like some of the people that i that i brought up like jeff is you know a best-selling author james is a best-selling author um you know ryan's a successful uh startup and so all of those went really well i think the big thing for me that i reference is that i i enjoyed the video medium so much more and making the videos did not seem to be a drag to me 
the I could do I could do all the videos without like having to schedule anybody. I'll say like the scheduling <laughs> for interviews and guests was really was a real time suck for me and something that I never like figured out in a in a great way. And also, like I said, the the editing. I find video editing for the most part to be fun. And I never felt that way about the podcast. No, I was probably too anal about all the podcast editing, like trying to take out all the ums and ahs. But the yeah, and the final the final point about it is like I can't at least for the first the first six months the value of how much uh, other people in my family enjoyed enjoyed watching those videos on the vlog, and I think that even though the views weren't there, the engagement from like a small audience that I was starting to build versus there's difference in community engagement with like, say the YouTube comments section, which I know a lot of, there's a lot of angst around sometimes, but the difference between that and what you would get on say like podcast reviews is just night and day. And so it felt, it felt more tangible. It felt like I was building an audience on YouTube, whereas it felt like I was just putting out content on the podcast. So yeah. all of those things played together. Yeah, that's huge. I think a lot of people would have quit uh, in those first 70 videos <laughs> before <laughs> finding one that worked. Can you speak to the mindset of that consistency and continuing to show up? Uh, I know that you had mentioned really liking the medium, but I think that I could really enjoy a medium too and not do 70 of anything. Uh, So tell me a little bit about that mindset because I think it's actually really admirable that you did that. I think it's one of the cool character qualities that you have as a person. But for somebody else who may get discouraged at video, I mean, what if you would have gotten discouraged at video 65 and not gone to 70? Right. Tell me me a little bit about that mindset. (laughs) Sure. And keep going to video 70 for maybe somebody who is at you know, whatever it is, episode, blog post, uh, video 63, and they need to get to 70 or whatever their magic number is. Like, tell me, speak to the mindset a little bit. For me, it it goes back to, I did enjoy it. And I, I found what I was doing interesting. And that is, I think, an important part, like especially early on, it's important to identify things that you're doing that you enjoy and things that even just a small group of people enjoys. And so even the reason that I kept going was because I knew I had like a small engaged audience that was interesting in hearing more of what I had to say. And I also, I also believe that the way that I made videos back then, and the reason that I was able to make so many is that I didn't, I didn't fuss around on the quality a ton. Like I didn't spend a ton of time on editing. And so like for me, and it still is kind of this way for me, the time that it takes, like I I have a friend, um, Jarvis Johnson, who I mentioned, uh, he just went over a million subscribers on YouTube. He, he said in an interview recently that he spends about 30 hours at least (laughs) on each video. And I couldn't do that. And I've, you know, there are all kinds of reasons that I couldn't do that, mostly because I have a full-time job <laughs> and a family and two young kids. But I was able to keep going because I think I create I know I created a system of production that worked well for me. And the most important thing, again, was to communicate my ideas and to be consistent. And I think that a lot of people get stuck. I know I got stuck for years 
on, well, I can't put anything out this week because it's not good enough, or I haven't written enough words, or the podcast isn't long enough, or the vlog isn't fancy looking enough. So all of those reasons, I think, keep people stuck. And there's also, an, there's also I think, a big element. You're like, there's also a big element of looking at it and saying, like, I, I just enjoy this for the create the creative aspect of it. And, and that's going to have to be fine. I think the other thing that I wish there are two other things that I wish I had figured out sooner, um, that I think would have helped me keep going. One is the, the first one is that I think that you people should try different mediums for their content and for their ideas. So I wish I had tried YouTube sooner. I wish I had tried podcasting sooner than I did. I might try podcasting again because for me, like just my energy and the way I communicate, I've just realized I, I connect better on video. I think I'm a fine writer. I think I'm a solid podcaster, <laughs> but like I'm better, I'm way better on video. And that has continued, that has continued to bear itself out. I think that people don't always give themselves the opportunities to figure out what they're, which medium they're really good at and which medium they could try. And so for the most part, I talk about a lot of the sim, a lot of similar things that maybe I talked about in 2012 or 2014. Yes, there's a bigger audience now, but some of the messages haven't changed. It's just video has been a better medium for me. The the second part is that like I do think that so try try different try different content mediums whether that is the written word or um, audio or video like with YouTube or a podcast and the other piece is that you know just don't please 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 don't get so worked up on especially early on like how good something looks or reads or is because like it's funny the thing that we get worked up of the thing that we get concerned about like nobody's reading it can also be a superpower or nobody's watching it can also be a superpower of like oh well you know <laughs> these are all terrible but okay no one's watching. and i think that we get ourselves stuck in not being able to like lean into some of the benefits of being an early stage creator and just like you can just work you can just work the consistency muscle. Like to me, that's the only, that's the only thing. And like, yeah, I would, I would just go from there. Like consistency to me is the most important thing. I think you're so right. I heard somebody uh, mentioned last year and it's been my motto for all this year is that consistency will take you much farther than passion will. Uh, I think yep. it's so true with so many people quit, whether they're creating content, their business, it's not going the way that they had envisioned it. They had hoped it. Uh, you know, we all have these moments where we're laying in bed or laying on the couch or sitting in our our thinking chair, and uh, you have an idea of whatever the thing is that you're going to launch is. And Ira Glass yep. talks about this a little bit too. Is there's a long time between what you're capable of creating and that vision, and getting through that gap is yep. really really important. So, tell me more about that because I yep. love all these things. You really liked video. Uh, you really mm -hmm. liked connecting with the audience. I think those are all really good, but. There had to be moments where you saw channels like the one that your buddy has that you're mentioning that have a lot more subscribers than you. And you had to have thought, why am I still doing this? In those moments, what was the why to keep going? Why, like, what was, what was the thought process and the mindset when the vision you had of what this might be 
maybe wasn't being met all the time. And then you saw right. other people like this trap of comparison. And I think in theory, we can all like regurgitate things that we hear, we hear from other people. But like in real time, like you saw somebody else who had twice the subscribers or tw- 10 times the subscribers you had. Why did you keep going or how did you keep going? What was the motivation that kept you moving in that time? Yeah, the wild thing about Jarvis is when he had his, he literally had a weekend blow up where he went from, I think, 200K, 200,000 subscribers to 400,000 over the weekend. And which is just some, and the only thing that he did was change a thumbnail and a description and a couple of tags on a video. He didn't even make a new video. (laughs) (laughs) It was the most insane thing. And now it's like this whole thing, like the Jarvis technique. And like, he was really, he was really brilliant about it. But yeah, it does like, and there, there are plenty of people like that. Um, I think one little, like (laughs) I would, one little trick is just, you can also like look at it from the other end of the spectrum. Like, especially like, like we've been talking about, I've been creating online for a really long time. So like just to, it's like, and this is one of the things where like I do, I do journal myself pretty regularly, consistently. And I remember like looking back or writing down like, gosh, it'd be cool to hit a thousand subscribers. And then like, you know, like, wow, I hit a thousand subscribers. Wouldn't 10,000 subscribers be neat? <laughs> and then we've hit that. And now we're at 35. And you can't like, if you give yourself some way to like, just reconnect with the milestones that you used to have. It does like give you a really good perspective. The other piece, the other piece of that, and I think this goes back to the engagement that we were that we were talking about at the beginning, is I would get, I would start to get emails, I would get like comments, and I would just see how like the things that I was talking about were was impacting other people and that made a really big difference to me and so like i could write down or i could pin i could you know take take those people's comments and i remember them when i was making when i was making something and it is really easy to get caught in a comparison trap because you know we just we naturally or i you know i want to do the best I want to do the best like it's comfortable enough to say that but that can definitely be like wanting to be the best there's always someone else like another way to measure success that will bump up against your own version of it like you know if I did if and when I do hit 100,000 subscribers it's going to be like ah oh, well this person has a million if I ever got to a million be like well I don't get to see my family as much as I want to because I like, I've built this beast for myself. And so there's always going to be a way that like we can compare ourselves. And I know that is kind of, that is kind of one of those cliched things, but I do think that looking backwards on what's been built and what you've been able to do and really specific people that you've been able to help with your content, like all of those things, all of those things help keep me going. That's good. So now that you have 35,000 subscribers, uh, no longer just a couple hundred, how has the way that you view your content strategy changed? Are you creating anything, any different types of content for them? Are you trying to monetize it in any way? What, tell me a little bit about what's changed since 35,000. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because it's something I was thinking of a few minutes ago is that creating content to me gets harder the more popular you become. Because... Uh, 
I think even more than the comparison trap, I get myself now a lot more stuck in the perfectionist trap. Like I want it to look like this. I want it to deliver in this way. I want to do these. I want it to have this level of quality. And if I don't feel like I'm delivering on that, I maybe I won't post a video that week or like for two weeks. I think the longest I've gone since then is um, I had a little burnout at the beginning of the year and I don't think I have six weeks. And that, that part has like the perfectionist trap is one that I fall into way more than the comparison trap. And ironically, that's something that I think a lot of people get stuck on earlier than I did. And again, is another reason that I just say like, just be consistent and make stuff. No one's watching anyway, (laughs) kind of in a, not in a negative way, but then like in a freeing way. The way that my content strategy has changed now is that I do still try and get a weekly a weekly video. I've definitely seen correlated evidence from YouTube on like the consistency, again, going back to consistency, the consistency of posting and the growth of the channel. And that may sound obvious, but you can't just rely on popular videos in the past to grow your channel. Like I have five or six videos now that are over 100,000 views and two two videos that are over 300,000 views. And so the channel itself has over 2 million views now, which is nuts. But I haven't posted regularly over the summer for the past two years. And like I see, definitely see a substantial dip. So you have consistency. It just goes back to consistency is still the biggest thing Um, from a strategy perspective and from monetization. um, The other thing that has been uh, really powerful for me in... 2019 is I decided this was going to be the year that I was going to be really consistent with an email newsletter. I've been working on email for four years now. You mentioned that we uh, work together at ConvertKit, email marketing for creators. And I was never super consistent with a, say, weekly email. And this is the first, this is the first year that I've done a weekly email. And that has been really powerful for me and my audience and has led to more engagement that keeps me that keeps me excited about the things that I'm going to make. Um, I still talk a lot about journaling because that is just where that's where I get the SEO traffic from. That is what the majority of my audience expects. And I would say the other thing that I'm trying to like branch out on a little bit is just kind of taking it like not just taking my channel and still doing like say three or four or five of six of a monthly videos about journaling and planning and productivity, but then also taking it a little bit more into like into habits and systems and different things that help that help level up your life outside of outside of just the journaling aspect of it. So taking the things that you're writing down and putting them into action, I'm starting to do more of that because I do see that as the natural next step for people that have been in my audience for a little while. And the last piece on that is I do have a course, my first like main course. And um, soon after that, a membership community that will be connected to the course all about um, yeah, finding, finding that extra hour in your day. I call it the 25-hour day. So finding that extra hour in your day that you can use for whatever you feel is most important or things that you want to be doing. And it's about finding that hour and then what do you do with it? So it goes into strategies for 
setting goals, executing on them, creating habits that make it that make it easier, and then following through and staying again, staying consistent. Awesome. I love that, Matt. That's that's amazing. I'm actually really excited to take that course because uh, I could use an extra hour in my day and you got me really excited about it when uh, we talked last week. But your process went very securely, like create consistent content, finding the audience and then building an online course. But people don't have to wait until they have 35,000 subscribers on YouTube to create education online. How would you approach it differently if you were creating online education when you only had two or three or 400 followers on YouTube? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because like when I talk to creators on Podia and the other reason I'm glad you brought it up is because I have been I have been monetizing the audience in like small test ways for the past for at least yeah, the past year and a half. So summer 2018, I had and it was funny that even though I had just hit 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, my email list was around 3,000 at this point, but I had been planning a product for that summer regardless of what my numbers were. So this was a product that I had like put into my mind that I was going to launch in the summer because the timing was good. And this was when I was at that 6 I had 600 YouTube subscribers and maybe 5 4 or 500 on my email list, maybe not even that. The email list started to pop right when the YouTube channel did because I was just linking to landing pages on ConvertKit. But I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think that so many creators wait way too long to start monetizing with their content. And I think you can do it at two or 300. In fact, um, one of the things we're doing at Podia, it actually starts this week, is a 21-day product launch challenge. And we walk you through everything that you would need because there's so much that you can do. I mean, even if you only have 20 subscribers because there's a lot that you can do and there's a lot that you can learn just from the process of creating and launching a product you're going to you're going to learn um like what what your audience resonates with you're going to you're going to learn uh why why they didn't buy from you because it could be that you have like a really good product idea and you don't know how to deliver you don't know how to sell it you don't know how to deliver it yet you don't know how to talk about it all those things were really true for me. And like, it's still something that I'm getting, getting better and better at. And so I always encourage new creators on on Podia or like, even when I was at ConvertKit, I was like, take the things that you're talking to your audience about and create like one, one, like relatively small product for it. Say like $19, $49, maybe even $99 and just see who's going to buy it. And then you have customers. Like then you have people to talk to, to learn all of those things about what they're excited about, what they would buy more from you about. Like say you do, say like just talking about it from a perspective of scaling up your products. Say your first one is a $9 like checklist or resource guide. 10 people buy it or two people buy it, whatever you're going to have, you're going to get on a call (laughs) or have a long email thread and talk to those people about where they found value in it, where it helped them. And you're also going to ask them, Hey, what would, what else would you like to see in this? Cause it may be that like, if you have a resource guide about like how to, if I had a short ebook on how to, how to create and edit your first five YouTube videos, I sold that for, you know, 20 bucks, 50 bucks. I sell that to 10 people. I talk to each of those 10 people and they're like, oh, well, this is just writing 
that's nice, but I'd really like to see some videos. I'm like, okay, great. And so then I make five videos and I sell that for $99 or $149. And then I talk to, and then I talk to more people and I learn like they want to know some other things or I didn't get into as much detail. So I just keep talking. It's basically the same thing, but just with money <laughs> and with products, you create something that is relatively, I think, relatively small and easy to create so that you can be consistent with it. So you can get something out there. And then you're just talking to your customers, talking to them about what they enjoyed, what they missed, what they didn't understand. And then you're making the next version of it better and adding in more and more content to serve their needs. I love it. I got on a roll with that. So <laughs> I, I love it, man. It's, it's so good. There's so much here. And, and I think I just want to like wrap it all up in this thought, like consistency, like I, the thought keeps coming in my mind over and over and over and over again. What if you would have quit at video 68 or 69? What if you would have not kept going? What would have happened if like, that's a completely different story. And that, that story ends in uh, a completely different way than where you're at now, which is an amazing story of uh, consistently creating content for a long period of time, nine months, uh, to find an audience, uh, to find one video, like to pay attention and make small tweaks and then to find one video that, that then began the entire change of your, your platform. Uh, I think it's really admirable. Uh, I think I've said this before and I'm, I'm going to puff you up a little bit too, but I think it's really admirable. <laughs> I think 99% of people would have quit uh, and you didn't, which is why you had the results of the 1%. And I think that's part of the message here is uh, we've talked on this podcast for the last few weeks that that when you have an audience, uh, things can really change. And I think Copyblogger is a result of that. I think Brian Clark at Unemployable is a result of that. But when you have an audience, a lot can change. Uh, to find that audience, it takes this consistency uh, so thanks, Matt, for sharing your story today. Super inspiring. Tell us where we can find you, uh, both at Podia and your YouTube channel. Uh, where can we connect with you? Yeah, great. So if you go to youtube.com slash Matt Ragland, I'll be there. And then I think the best place to find out some other stuff about me, and if it's okay with y'all, uh, just share a couple of resources for everyone because I, I, I can show y'all the first... YouTube video that blew up. I actually did a video on hitting 10K and some of the lessons from there. So if you go to mattragland.com slash copyblogger, then I'll have a bunch of resources and opportunities there. And you can also learn about uh, the things that I'm doing with Podia as well. Awesome, Matt. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Daryl. It was great to connect. <laughs>